Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. And hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. A slightly less cheerful podcast than the recent ones after uh, the travesty of justice, if you'd call it that, or at least travesty of niceness uh, that happened at Old Trafford. Um at the weekend on Sunday, um, we're recording this on Monday, so we've had a little bit of time to process process what the experience was like, and uh, I don't know if it's made me uh, more or less frustrated, but uh, but uh, uh, but joining me to express how his feelings evolved is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? Surprise news for the listeners. I'm all right, actually. I'm all right. I feel fairly philosophical about what happened yesterday. Um, philosophical. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, that, that means we'll have some contrast then. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, listeners I mean, need that. They don't need us agreeing with each other for an hour. Well, I mean, there's no n- no point uh, beating around the bush, as it were. Let's two foot right into it uh, and to start with, a bit like Lissandra Martinez in the first couple of minutes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously we saw the lineup. Um, Zinchenko in despite apparently not training this week. Uh, which suggests how much uh, uh, Arteta values his tactical influence on this team. Uh, obviously, we knew Party was going to be out. We weren't 100% sure about Odegaard, but he was obviously deemed fit to play. Um, I mean, we touched on this at the end of the last one, but how did you feel going into it? Um, as I, I think <laughs> I... Arsenal have got such a bad record at Old Trafford that I don't feel confident whenever we go to Man United. And I I think that I I would say probably most Arsenal fans probably feel that way, but there, there are, I know, a sizable, because um, I talk to a lot of them, that kind of think, well, Man United are a bit rubbish we sh- and we're playing well, so we should go up there and drop them. But I, I just couldn't feel... I mean, I said on... Friday that, you know, I thought if we played well, we'd probably win. And we did play pretty well. Um, we just lacked um, execution in the in the Manchester United penalty area and we were um, Manchester United it. Can, can we make that a word? <laughs> um, yeah, I... I yeah, I, I wasn't conf- I was relaxed about it. Um, I went, mind you, I went out for a few beers at lunchtime yesterday. <laughs> that, that maybe helped. Um, I got home just in time for kickoff and didn't. I mean, the Zinchenko starting, I kind of thought he, that does show you how important he's already become. But it kind of, to me, I, it makes me really worry about long term future of Kieran Tierney, to be honest, because I think. A year ago, Kieran Tierney would be the one being rushed back for a fixture like this, and now it's like, oh, we'll just bring Zinchenko back. Yeah, I mean, it. Well, the comparison between the two players is very much a risk reward, isn't it? We we know Zinchenko is not as good defensively. We know he's not as athletic. We know he's a better footballer, in turn, particularly when it comes to playing, you know, possession football in the interior of the team. So if we want to play this inverted with fullback, we know that he's the better option. Uh, but we know that he's more defensively vulnerable. And and I guess the selection says as much about how Arteta felt about going into this match. You know, he, he came, we prepared his team to dominate and to try and blow United away uh, or not blow them away, but, you know, just start on the front foot and, and, and get some chances relatively early in the game and then ad- adapt considering how things would go on uh, as the match progressed. And it didn't really start like that. I mean, Man United were quick out the blocks in the first, you know, first 10 minutes or so, which I guess we would have all expected. Um, I mean, myself, I was looking forward to the game and thinking, I was thinking we might get a draw. Um, I mean, as you, as you say, we've all had enough years of the Manchester United experience of knowing that and unless we are fucking amazing, or unless we pull, you know, uh, a, a great defensive performance out of the bag, out of nowhere, we're going to struggle up there because they're always up for that game. For them, it's always a massive game. Um, their crowd's always really up for this fixture. 
no matter what their form is, they seem to turn up for this fixture. They've got a few players in their squad that seem to love this fixture as well. And uh, without without sort of presaging any other f- conversations that will be coming up, we also know that as an away team, particularly as an Arsenal away team, getting a decision at Old Trafford is, uh, is, is it, you know, you've got more chance of going to Vegas and coming back a millionaire, let's put it that way. Um, and I, ha- you know, if it, it's, it seems ridiculous to say that, but for me, just going to Old Trafford and knowing what the officiating is going to be is a massive consideration for me when I look at these fixtures because I, you know, I'm not getting into conspiracy theories or any of that bullshit, but I have genuinely no faith that we will get a, a fair rub of the green at that ground. Because uh, you look at even when we were the best team in the country and we, you know, even when we won the league up there, you know, half of their yeah. players got away with ABH on that night. I mean, it was, the, it, they just went out to hurt us. And it's just that at that stage we were playing so well and we had such a team of hard bastards, it didn't matter. Um, and there's also the other thing, of course, that as we touched on the last podcast, you know, we haven't gone to Old Trafford with our first choice 11 or, or although it's as pretty close as we could get, but we haven't, we've always had one or two key players missing uh, for like 20 years in a row. <laughs> so is, you know, you're always feeling like, ah, oh, if only, if only, and this will ultimately turn out to be another, if only occasion. Um, so obviously United started well, uh, as as one might expect they would, because they knew that we were probably going to want to start fast. And, um, you know, their, their few games they've had, you know, against Liverpool, they that's how they got a result, is by basically starting pretty quickly and catching Liverpool on the hop a bit. Um, but we weathered that and came into the game, obviously. Uh, and I suppose we have to get the key controversial moment out the, out, out the way quickly. Um, I mean, obviously, they've been the standard... A uh, few freebie fouls from Man United early on, which is just going to happen every game they play at that ground. You know, particularly as referees in general are loath to get cards out in the first few minutes, in, um, let alone against Man United at Old Trafford. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, you know uh, McTominay obviously had his usual performance where he could have been booked any number of times, um, and there were others. But the key moment, and I guess again, just for a change, turning moment in the match, TM. Uh, our wonderful counter-attacking goal, expertly finished by Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, first, talk about the goal and then talk about what happened afterwards. <laughs> well, uh, I think I, I, it was a brilliant off-you-see uh, counter-attack Um yeah, the pass from Saka completely takes out the Man United defence. Martinelli runs on. Berry's an absolutely wonderful finish into the corner of the United. Yeah, now Old Trafford is silent, and then you see the Man United player, Man Bruno Fernandez lead it. Bruno fucking Fernandez, that's <laughs> of all the players, um, telling the referee that there's been a foul. Um, I actually, on the weekend of VAR controversy, and I think it'd be wrong to talk about this without actually referencing Indeed. what happened at Chelsea to West Ham, which was absolutely insane. Uh, and and a more direct comparison to the Leicester game earlier as well. But um, but the same... Uh, was it the same official? Same uh, VAR. Yeah. Lee Mason, or was yeah. it was him, wasn't it? Well, I can't remember if he was that game or another game at the weekend where there was a massive VAR fuck up. <laughs> right. So, uh, no, I think it was Jared Gillett, our old friend Jared Gillett at Chelsea, and yeah. Lee Mason at Newcastle. I think is the right way round. Um, so the the West Ham equaliser, in my, well, I think in everyone's opinion, should have stood. Mendy basically fucked up and play acted his way out of a situation, which obviously gave um, certain Christian Eriksen an idea 24 hours later. Um, I think the Newcastle one is absolutely ridiculous. It's even more egregious, isn't it? I mean, it's it, just like, it's, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, either a goal or it's a penalty to Newcastle. And for... That had been disallowed. <laughs> we were talking about it on the call yesterday. Um, a lot, kind of uh, saying to Chelsea, Ray, oh, you got away with one there. And then he said, well, in fairness, Thomas Tuchel said we were lucky. 
and um, Chris made some comment. And then I said, well, Patrick Vieira also sounded a little bit silly if you if you heard what he had to say after the game. Um, so, uh, so we saw these two incidents on Saturday, which were ridiculous. I haven't seen um, the Brighton one, but I gather it is uh, pretty shocking. I think we're at a point where when you're looking for reasons to disallow goals, which are quite hard to uh, come by, especially when you're asking what Old Trafford's, it's a, it's a slippery slope we're on. And, um, you know, I think it keeps being said it's not the VAR that's the problem, it's the people operating it, um, which is true. But then if you didn't have the VAR to begin with, you wouldn't be adding this extra level of subjectivity in. And I think the thing that, I've said it on this podcast before. The thing that winds me up is that if you look at anything in slow motion, you can make it look bad. I mean, I remember Eddie and Ketty had been sent off at home to Leicester a couple of seasons yeah, ago for, yeah. for nothing, essentially. But when you slowed it down and looked at it in slow motion, it looks like he's raked his uh, studs down someone's shin. Um, so I, I can understand and accept why that why our goal yesterday was disallowed even though it feels very much against the spirit of the game what's difficult to take then is the fact that Eddie Nketiah is wrestled by Harry Maguire um after he's uh moved the ball past him I mean the game was probably gone by then but whatever uh Bukayo Saka being hammered seconds after he'd um, hit that cross shot just past the post. I think we got a penalty against Tottenham in similar circumstances a while back. Um, the general, I mean, I, so yeah, um, Football 365 uh, in their 16 conclusions were saying that actually Arsenal fans were going to be upset because we didn't actually have much cause to complain. And, I think, you know, you can look at uh, the Sambi Lakonga tackle that he, the referee missed and say possibly we were quite lucky that that wasn't upgraded to uh, yellow or red cards. But I think on balance, when you look at what Rafael Varane and Martinez were allowed to get away with at the back, we were far more sinned, sinned against than sinners. Um and yet, as usual, we were the first team to get a yellow card for something that was a bit of a nothing. I, I don't. Well, you know, if we want to talk about Christian Eriksen, then people want to say there was contact made on Christian Eriksen before our goal. William Saliba did not make any contact. I mean, I get that there's an obstruction issue, but I think a yellow card for that, given what had been allowed to happen previously, was not very fair. Well, I mean, it wasn't as bad as, as, as again, going back to, say, the, the end of the unbeaten run all those years ago where United kicked the fuck out of us for the first 20 minutes. And actually the got most on. bent game in the history of the Premier yeah, League. From yeah. Mike Riley, erstwhile head of referees, yeah. Um, but, uh, and then actually Cole got booked for a nothing foul for the for the first tackle he'd made in the game. And, and, and you know, yeah. and there was a record we've all seen before. Yeah. I can't even remember who it was. Who was the guy that pushed Martinelli off the pitch? You're like, who? I'll, I'll give you two guesses. Who do you think is the most likely to be a thuggish cunt in that team? Uh, well, it wasn't Scott McTominay, but I would have, I would have said him, but it wasn't. Was it not? No, I can't. I feel like it might have been Anthony actually. It may have been, yes. It was someone with blonde hair on that side of the pit. Yeah, it wasn't McTominay. Because was it not? Okay, because I, <laughs> I, no, uh, um, I actually saw some commentary that said it was McTominay, but that may have been me on, a, on an inferior commentary team. <laughs> okay. I, well, maybe it was. I didn't think it was. I saw the incident again earlier, but... It no, no, but you're pro- I, I, I'm sure you're right, because you probably saw it in greater quality. Than but, but again, that's like... Yeah, when Alexis Sanchez got pushed into that pit at Norwich, and yeah. it's like, oh, ha, 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 that's so funny. He, you know, Alex Ferguson talked about Robin Van Persie possibly being killed by a football 10 years ago. Alexis Sanchez could act, actually, actually have been killed in that incident. Um, obviously, this one wasn't quite as bad, uh, but, you know, we're told every time Granite Jacker 
makes a foul with no hope or intention to play the ball, that it's absolutely fine to give him a red card. Um, but it never seems to be true when it happens the other way around. Well, part of the reason why McTominay was in my head is for the incident late, late the wrestling. in the game. Yeah, yeah, which was, I mean, it was wrestling judo combined. I mean, you know, he got booked for it, but uh, I, th- I suppose the issue with him is always that there are so many incidents in a game in which he could get booked. And when he does get booked for something which is like, well, could technically be a red card under the what if Granite Xhaka did that clause, um, then it kind of, but anyway, I mean, we, there's only so much point it is worth us talking about this because we all know how it works. If you if you are an away team going to Old Trafford, you get nothing. Uh, and nine times, unless you're in a European competition and the refs there don't have the the, uh, the the same attitude towards things, shall we say? Because you know, I mean, we all remember the Decanio De line from years ago, don't we? When he was talking about, you know, I could be, I could be running through and going, and, and Yapstam could pull out a. A semi-automatic, or what he said, he said didn't say semi-automatic, but he put out something. I can't remember what he said, and shoot me, and the uh, and there would be no card. The only discussion would be whether the bullet hit me inside or outside the area. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, um, I for the level of contact involved on uh, that caused Christian Eriksen to fall over, and then what was allowed to happen previously, and what was allowed thereafter. It doesn't. It doesn't sit well with me. The decision in isolation, it probably was a foul. But um, yeah, it's just really frustrating. And as Mikel Arteta said after the game, it's soft. Um, but you know, there was a foul on Aaron Ramsdale for Aston Villa's equaliser on Wednesday night. It was a soft foul. It doesn't get given. The soft foul on Bukayo Saka in the pet, which actually I'm not sure was as soft as commentators made out when Tyrone Mings is physically holding Bukayo Saka without playing the ball and then lifts him off his feet. That's not a foul. Um, so it just comes back to the consistency question. That I mean, the thing okay. is, we're never going to get consistency on individual judgments of of uh the how to apply the laws because ultimately they are that interpretive and the pgml ol seems to have abandoned what there used to be the case of having a greater consensus about how these things were interpreted whether that's intentional or otherwise who knows it but just for seems me, to me like Sorry, I was just saying, just given what had happened on Saturday to disallow that goal for that reason just seems mad um well that's sort I, of what i'm getting to in that my my great issue is not with the fact that these refs who let's face it we all know quite a few of these refs aren't great the standard in, in england has deteriorated there's a reason why we're no longer you know we used to have the most refs at international tournaments we now have none and uh, you know this is this is all old news but for me what this is really highlighted where i think there is an issue where there is much less latitude for forgiveness about uh, or institutionally is that there is it now you know we've got this second eye the var which is supposed to help and of course in every other sport has proven to be helpful uh, even in equally fast-paced sports uh, which we don't need to list but we're now at a point where there is even inconsistency in the process so You've got inconsistent officials making inconsistent decisions and then being referred to other inconsistent officials who aren't even applying the process consistently. So we don't, so it's a bit potluck as to whether VAR is even going to participate in reviewing a a passage of play or not. Uh, Because we all know, you know, we're told now whether when VAR are looking at things and when they're not. And there's plenty of times when there's much more contentious moments that VAR choose not to look at. Um, so that, and we're told that they're not looking at it. So then we're at a point where we don't now, we now don't know. Quite apart from the meaninglessly vague, uh, clear and obvious error, which they need to come up with some way of defining. Otherwise, it just leads to bullshit. But we, we, we're now looking at it going. We not only do we not know how these officials are going to view certain things that we used to have greater certainty about. We also don't know 
how a VAR official might view them because they seem to not necessarily be on the same page or if they are, it's it's a, the intervening colleague basically is for, only Michael Oliver is, seems to be prepared to tell to tell whoever's on VAR to do one. Um, but also we now don't even know when they're going to tr- when VAR is going to come into play. So it gets to a stage where we're watching the games as fans, not knowing how the rules are going to work from game to game, let alone how those rules might be, or sorry, laws, let alone how those laws are going to be interpreted. And, you know, obviously the concern with VAR is you're adding an extra layer of subjectivity, as you point out. But the fact is that for that extra layer to be so subjective and therefore and to have such a great influence while it's being so subjective points out a fundamental flaw in the process. You know, ultimately, that's not what it's there to do. It's there to, it's it, as we're all told, it's there to point out clear and obvious errors. It's to be there for things that refs miss. And now it seems to be there for things that, depending on how the person on VAR feels about something. And that's, that is, that is madness because you're just creating layers on layers of confusion and inconsistency. And you're in a situation where the person in the middle, is half avoiding making decisions because he knows VR is look, going to look, but then, he, but then doesn't have often and as was the case doesn't have the courage of their convictions if they're challenged because you know it, it's all come out fairly clearly that Tierney didn't want to disallow the goal. I was just about to say that. Go go for it then. No, no. Well, you've said it. Um, I, I was wondering if you'd heard that as well. And um... well, say specifically what it is because I I haven't done. I. <laughs> Well, I only literally just I saw a tweet earlier and I didn't have time to dig into it. That I think Gary Gary Neville maybe referred to it, um, that the, the, they can hear the conversation between the VAR official and the referee. And as you say, Tierney didn't want to disallow the goal, um, but he did. <laughs> because unfortunately, part of the... Other issue is is because there's such a close relationship between on-pitch master officials and VAR that people don't want to overrule each other, which, you know, initially we had a thing where VAR wouldn't look at things because they were scared of embarrassing the on-pitch referee. And now we've got a situation where the very fact that Michael Oliver is like the first, you know, is one of the first referees in the Premier League to tell the VAR person that they disagree with them. That in itself is an issue. It means that the process is not operating honestly because people are more worried about protecting relationships or protecting collective reputations rather than actually getting things right. And I totally understand why an individual put in that position would feel very feel find it very difficult to deal with so the question is is why are they being put in that position uh, and it's one of my you know my broader bugbears about this which is the the pgm ol don't do enough to help referees they they, they put them in a situation where you know they bear the brunt of all the scrutiny and then they introduce var in a way that can help point out when they've made a ricket, but doesn't actually help them deal with that situation. So, it, you know, it it's such a mess. And, of course, lots of people are kind of going, oh, scrap the AR, it's all the AR's fault. And, and the thing is, is, no, it's just simply that it's being applied incorrectly. And we've all seen multiple other sports where, okay, it's not perfect, but for the most part, it works much better. But at the moment in the Premier League, it's three or four games every weekend where if something's not leading people to then come out and apologise, well, that's great. You can apologise when someone's lost their job as a result. Thanks a fucking bunch. But also, even when the ones where they're not willing to admit there's a mistake, there's still a lot of dissent. I mean, the very fact that yesterday, you know, there was scores of, you know, ex-professionals with absolutely no affection for Arsenal Football Club coming out and saying it was the wrong decision. You had, was it Peter Walton or that was wheeled out or some one other? I don't know if it was him. Uh, two in a week for him would be a miracle. But there's, you know, there, was, <laughs> there, was, um, there was another ex-referee saying it was the wrong call. Keith Hackett has been incredibly, well, Keith Hackett also made the point that Mason, Keith Hackett, for those who don't know, used to run the referees before the current shit show took over. And he was making the point that Mason had, has made two massive, you know, VAR recaps, and so you shouldn't be anywhere near VAR for this game. Um, and it just creates this increase and continued perception. There's no accountability that, that there's no 
which of course you don't want accountability in terms of wrestling to come in front of the camera that's ridiculous but you just want a sense that what happens has some meaning uh and and it really is detrimentally affecting the sport really you know i mean obviously the fans are going to keep going just keep watching because we're all addicts but i used to have a lot more confidence in knowing how officials would on average interpret a certain set of circumstances now i i just don't know you know yeah. and that how and, and i've been watching football for nearly 40 years and to an obsessive level and i've never felt this level of doubt before anyway we should probably get back to other parts of the game so <laughs> that was disallowed lost uh, in the rabbit hole yeah well uh, i mean the very well it, let's face it we've only talked about it for a bit longer than paul tierney looked at it for <laughs> um, yeah before... well, it, was, it, it was interesting how long he was looking at it because the length of time he was looking at it you were thinking oh well maybe we maybe it's going to stand then because he did look at it for a very long time but i wonder if that was part of the conversation with the var of not wanting to to disallow it yeah anyway, well, I mean, anyway. yeah I, I mean you know Quite apart from anything else, the last thing I'll say on that subject is, you know, I, I don't think that there is inherent bias or intentional bias. I think there's a lot of unintentional bias because we're humans. But um, surely someone at the Premier League match officials group needs to recognise that when you're playing a game in Manchester, uh, having both having both the main referee and the VAR being from people who are born and live very close to Manchester is is just forget about whether you trust people's integrity like optically it's just really bad it's just like a pr fuck you we don't give a sh it's like them saying we don't give a fuck what you think because they yeah. used to not allow that to happen and now they do and the question is why anyway so on the plus side that goal being disallowed obviously it had a fundamental effect on the match because man united could stay camped deep but it did seem to galvanize our performance the confidence we took from knowing that we could hurt them and basically even including them when they scored their opening goal we basically dominated the next 40 minutes of the match like totally dominated the next 40 minutes of the match but ultimately you united got the first goal and we've all seen this record before i mean what did you think of that passage of play and how it came about what well, uh, uh period of dominance well no the concession of the first goal oh sorry um, <laughs> it was a little bit weird um because i was on a call with my mate and someone was on a stream i was a minute and a half we were a minute and a half behind so i happened to look at my phone stupidly i had my wi-fi on and i just saw that united were one nil up and i was like of course um how has it happened? And of course, it then unfolds in front of me. Gabrielle dived in recklessly. Unfortunately for us, the referee plays a brilliant advantage. Yeah. Um, rather than blowing up for the fucking foul. Um, I guess Zinchenko goes to help. Uh, uh, must have been Saliba. Um, yeah. In the middle and therefore leaves. Um, Anthony free on the right. I, to be fair to United, I thought they worked it really well. Um, I think Helen was right when she was saying on the, the Slack chat to finish from Anthony, why Aaron Ramsdale dives to his left. He gambles. Why, does, why did he do that? I, I mean, one can only think he was given the eyes or something, but yeah. it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Um, so really disappointing goal for us to concede. It's United's first shot on target, I think. Um, same as it ever was. Yeah. Um, uh, and I suppose, and you know, and this relates to the second goal as well. Part of the reason it's so hard to take is that it just felt so against the pattern of play. You know, we'd, obviously, we'd already had that sense of chagrin from having the goal disallowed and you know was it correct to disallow it maybe maybe not depends who you ask depends what you compare it to etc etc but um you know we as you say they scored with their first meaningful attack or meaningful you know shot creating action um and the second goal was pretty much exactly the same you know we we were 
although we were even more dominant at that stage. I mean, but you know, United's second goal came in a period where it looked like, well, we'd obviously equalised at that point and it looked like they were about to cave in. And of course, uh, uh, unfortunately, Zinchenko and Lokonga tried to do something a bit too clever and left in off by the left wing and um and we got caught out on that one again uh Bruno Fernandes doing what he can do when he's not too busy being a snide fuckbag um you know the, the thing is is it's we, we all know what united have got um but we never know you never know from game to game whether they're going to be successful in in executing or not because what they lack is consistency. Yeah, and I mean, again, the second goal was really well executed. Um, we gave them half the pitch to, to play in and they used it really well. Typical of how our day was yesterday. Rashford gets the shot off as Ben White comes in. And I think um, possibly if Ben White didn't get to him, maybe the ball goes wide. Yeah, um, yeah. But what can you say? I mean, I, I think the the thing to take out of the game for me really is that we went to United and played like that. I mean, I you know I talked when we last spoke about how well we played up there the last time and how stupid we were. And I guess in um in a slightly different way, it was sort of the same story. But I felt much more encouraged by what we did yesterday. Um, I think to go and be able to play like that at a place like Manchester United bodes well. And essentially, I feel that, um, you know, without wanting to generalise too much, if we can play like that for the majority of the season, then we'll we'll be okay, you know. Yeah, I mean... Better than okay. Well, well, certainly we're used to plenty of games where the team is in decent form goes up to Old Trafford and freezes uh, you know we've seen that plenty of times over the last 15 years and, and that hasn't been the case here you know even after we had a goal disallowed and unfortunately even after we went a goal down behind even after going into half time 1-0 down we came out and, and really took the game to them and of course we got our equaliser um, I mean, it was a period where we were creating chances quite frequently. I mean, obviously, just before, you know, there was the Erdegaard miss, uh, yeah. which um, unfortunately, you know, looked quite bad. It was quite a difficult chance to take, but he should have done better with it. And then Saka very nearly scored. And then, of course, we have the, the attack where ultimately Saka does score when, um, you know, a great tackle on Gabriel Jesus after he does brilliantly to get in that position. But Saka's there to, to stick the ball in. Um and then that, and of course that was barely reward for how well we'd played and how dominant we'd been, uh, and we're all feeling very positive about it. And then we we got sucker punched, um, and then obviously two one down, uh, but we're playing really well at that point in time, and uh, the boss rolls the dice. Uh, I mean, tell me what you think of that both before and after we conceded the third goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was desperate for Arteta to bring in Ketty on because I thought, again, Gabriel Jesus is so good at op- occupying defences. We've seen that now every game that he's played. But also what's helped us um, and ultimately helped us win the game on, um, well, the Fulham game specifically, but... Uh, I think helped against Villa was Eddie and Ketty coming on and being able to cause some trouble. And I just felt we, we had the personnel to go to a three-five-two, and maybe we could have hurt United with that formation. What I didn't expect was Fabio Vieira and Emil Smith Rowe joining him, and I, mm. it, it felt to me. Um, a little bit ride of the Valkyries a little bit yeah. early. Um, I'm not going to criticise him for it. I think that it's one of those things with Arteta we've kind of, and even this season, you know, some of the substitutions he makes, he makes really late. Um, and if he felt that that was the way to go, then it's kind of 
to me, it's encouraging that he felt confident enough to do it. It's backfired on us. So it looks ridiculous in hindsight. And I think probably even at the time, there would have been a lot of Arsenal fans questioning that decision. But um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and go, go to town on him for for making that call. It's, again, it's subjective. It's how he sees the game from where he is. And he felt that was the right thing to do. And um, oh, Yeah, I mean, I think the only contentious element of those subs I think was was although he wasn't having a fantastic game and had been caught out I mean we could argue for both goals but only really for the second in my view um but taking Lukonga off was the one that I wasn't sure about because you know Zinchenko probably wasn't field open yeah and Zinchenko probably wasn't the last 90 minutes Erdegaard we knew had had a knock and therefore might not last the game as well And, and it also just had just for the for the previous two or three minutes to stop being as effective because United were basically bodying him at every opportunity. Yeah. I mean McTominay was trying to kick in every time he got the ball but couldn't catch him. It was ridiculous. Well I think when United stuck the third away on the counter Gary Neville started saying, well this could end up being four five one and what it really reminded me of was being at Old Trafford in August two thousand and eleven and uh, Arsene Wenger removing Francis Coquelin, who'd actually had quite a good game. He had done, yeah. Um, from the fray at 3-1, and he brought the Ox on um, for his debut, I think. I yeah. Think I'm right in saying that. And um, It all fell off a cliff. Yeah, uh, I think about tw- 20 minutes later, I'll admit to this, me and James were heading for the Old Trafford car park. Because <laughs> uh, we had quite a long drive back. Um so I'm uh, on that basis. I'm I'm quite pleased that it did only finish three, and I think that's the important. Uh, maybe it sounds like small mercies, clutching at straws, whatever. Um, having made those changes, we could easily have been absolutely humped yesterday. Well, this we is worked. where I'm going to disagree with you, see, because when Gary Neville said that, I if it wasn't so insulting, I'd have laughed because that that was never going to happen, you know. United in at that stage in the game had, I mean, okay, it could happen in the same way that, uh, you know, yes, a team can con- continue to score with every frigging shot it takes, but United, you know, were really struggling in the game. And okay, yes, the subs came on and we conceded straight away, but after that, United barely had a kick. I mean, really, I mean, they had a kick kicked our players plenty of times uh and there was a couple of couple of breaks with Ronaldo but he doesn't have the same pace to get forward uh, as he used to do thank heavens um and United retreated as they were always going to do because they're not fools they knew they knew damn well that they were lucky to be in that position in that game and you know and to hear Keane and Neville talking I mean bollocks afterwards. I mean, obviously, oh, Roy Keane... I didn't. I didn't even bother. I mean, normally I would watch a bit of the post match. But... Well, I only caught it later because I because <laughs> I I wasn't in the mood to watch it then. But I bet you, know, you weren't. I mean, Roy Keane was obviously saying, you know, the results anything that matters, and of course he's right. Ultimately, it is. But he was he was implying that United had had basically rope doped us, and we'd uh, we we'd done exactly what they wanted to, and they'd intentionally given us the ball. Uh, and it's like, well, you can say that because of the result, but ultimately, this wasn't some kind of Mourinho counterattacking masterclass where, basically, he defends like crazy. You can't get anything going, and you get picked up on the counter over committing because you can't get anything going. I mean, as I mean, okay, there are different different XG stats companies produce different figures, and, and some have United as a higher XG presumably because of the third goal being such a guilt-edged chance. But more of the companies that produce stats have us as having the high XG. Yeah. Quite apart from that, you know, quite apart from the fact that we missed chances we should have at least tested the goalkeeper on it and still came very close to scoring a couple of times apart from that and scored a goal and had a goal disallowed in dubious circumstances and had plenty of other opportunities where, you know, it was real last-ditch stuff from United. You know, that's not some masterclass in kind of counter-attacking football. No, that's, of course it isn't. But, that's clinging but, on, but having some really good players who can be dangerous on the counter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 
they were in that position of being three one up and knowing that we were going to keep pushing, uh, which we did. Um, I. <laughs> yeah, but they also yeah, took I, off their pace up front, so they were going to be much less dangerous on the counter. Yeah, okay. Um, can I just say, by the way, I forgot to mention it when, when we were talking about the Bukayo Saka um, cross shot that went just wide of the far post and then he got fouled and we didn't get a penalty. Mm. What a fucking amazing turn. Yes. <laughs> he sent that guy to the city of Manchester Stadium. See you later. I'm off. Well, this is the thing also, you know, you see how results affect narrative. You know, there's lots of people, I've seen lots of kind of reports saying that, that Saka was kind of in, people were trying to imply that Saka was in Malassia's pocket. And it was kind of like, did you watch any of the game? Like, Malassia didn't have a fucking clue how to play him because he's not, clearly not that often come against, up against wingers who can who are happy going inside and outside, you know, and, and Saka left him three or four times in the game. Although according to Squawker stats, he wasn't dribbled past once, which is like, that's patently not true because I saw it three times <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't see it every single second of the match. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess my take on it is that I I think United, this wasn't some United team who were clinical in terms of their overall play. They were clinical, the chances they had, but actually their overall play wasn't great. I wasn't scared about them picking us off and getting a lot more goals because I thought they'd absolutely squeezed every inch of juice out of what, whatever they had in that game. You know, I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, Bruno Fernandes plays one of the passes of of the, of the weekend uh, and Rashford suddenly discovers that, oh, against Arsenal, he can finish. Um, but... And and then also the the you know, the third goal. I mean, that was partly us being disorganised because literally it was just as players had come on the pitch, and nobody had actually people weren't hadn't even got into their proper positions yet, really. And also Ericsson made his only forward run into the penalty area of his entire game, and and because he's a smart player and he saw the opportunity, uh, and that's where we were exposed. Is that you know United's players are not mugs. And some of their better players are also very experienced. They know when they can sniff when there's a chance. And we didn't have enough players on the pitch who had the experience to be able to read when there was a danger. And this is one of the issues with Sambi Lokonga is he's wonderful on the ball and brings far more than say Elneny in that position in that element of game. But off the ball, he's not great. He doesn't he he doesn't read danger quickly enough. Yeah. It was interesting. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I talked on Friday about how Xhaka had helped him through the game a a bit on uh, Wednesday, well, a lot, and it didn't feel like that happened at all uh, yesterday. Well, in a way, we were sort of slightly lulled into it because we were so dominant, you know, both the points when United got their, well, actually, all the points when United got their goals, we were really on top. Yeah. Uh, and, And actually, there wasn't, that much of a midfield battle. But, I mean, this is the thing is also certain parties in the media uh, have been portraying this as some sort of Ten Hag masterclass. And actually, you look at it, and it's basically Oli Gunnar Solskjaer football with a couple of slightly better players in there. I mean, that's exactly what it is, because mm-hmm. what he did was against the bigger teams, he, you know, played deep, tried to counter and, re- and relied on um, a couple of playmakers who, who, who are great at passing and and some pace up front, and you know ultimately that can be effective, and it was effective for periods under Solskjaer. You know, it's not to ridicule United or anything like that. That we've all known that there's a lot more talent in that squad than they've been getting out of it. Um, and Ten Hag's not an idiot, clearly. I mean, he's proven that already in his career. But I just balk at this idea that this was some kind of controlled, calculated performance from United because. Yeah, they counterattacked brilliantly, but the t- points at which they counterattacked, they were damn lucky to not be a couple, you know, one or two goals behind. Yeah, 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 I'd, I'd agree with that, and I think that's why I've, I've, I'm feeling philosophical about it because I, as I've kind of already said, I, I haven't come away from this game thinking, "Oh shit, we've just found out how good Arsenal really are," and it turns out we're not very good. I actually think. 
we are a really good football team and on another day we we would have won that game um yeah i, I mean wanna, i don't want to say reasonably comfortably but we no it wouldn't have been reasonably comfortably because ultimately you it's know, old trafford it's old trafford man united have got some pride you know if we were running away with the game it things would have got dangerous on that pitch mm. ultimately but, yeah uh, but also you you know we all know united have got as i've just said united have got some very good footballers they're just lack consistency we you know we've seen it every time we play them that even if we beat them at our stuff our place you know bruno fernandez has a couple of absolutely genius passes a match at him you know he's also got a lot of other stuff which is rather less enjoyable to watch as from a football purist perspective but you know rashford is quick is skillful and can finish well when he's feeling good about himself and not spending six months looking vaguely <laughs> suicidal as he did for last the second half of last season where he looked like he was he was finished and i mean obviously he knew he wasn't because he was young in quality but he looked like that's so how he felt about things um and you know ericsson's a smart player etc 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 you know but the team performance from us was more convincing than theirs, but they were more clinical, and ultimately that's the story of the match. Um, it's hard to say that their approach will yield greater results in the medium term, given given how fortunate they've been in the in the in the previous games they've won this season. Actually, I mean they've been they've been outplayed to a certain degree every game this season, um, and for them to have. 12 points is actually very flattering for them and and you know attacking sense they were better against us than they have been against most teams they've played against this season because their execution when they had the opportunities is very good but in terms of general play they weren't in the match for large periods of the game and and that's been a consistent theme for them this season as has been our having longer periods of control yeah yeah, it's funny when we were talking about the game on Friday and I was just like, oh, um, we're going to start taking these chances at some point and then we're going to batter someone. And like, no, actually what's going to happen is we're going to come up against a team that's going to score their chances and we will lose. But, uh, yeah, we're a good team. I, Sunday, yesterday, it doesn't change how I feel about what Arteta's doing and the team that he's building. And... I'm looking forward to us getting back on the horse. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, the, Gary Neville after the match predicted us to finish top four. So did he now? Yeah. So so that so that tells you he he saw enough to recognise that it wasn't some sort of Man United genius master plan. So was there anything else really before we move on from the game uh, on Sunday that that stood out for you that we haven't touched upon? Maybe first impressions of seeing Fabio Vieira in an Arsenal shirt. Yeah, he was quite exciting, wasn't he? Um, uh, eye for a pass. Um, yeah. As advertised, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was really encouraging. Obviously, um, we haven't talked about it, but um, Emil Smith-Rowe appears to have sustained an injury in the uh, post-match ball down yesterday. Um, I don't know if you'd heard uh, about that. I had heard about that, but I don't know what to say apart from... Uh, guides unfortunately appearing as though he's just quite injury prone for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but I guess probably Fabio Vieira's upper notch on the uh on the uh, depth chart as a result of that, particularly given he's um uh he's he's got he gives us a few options, doesn't he? Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And and I think also that he showed enough in that cameo because obviously there's concerns about his physicality given that he's, you know, not a big guy. <laughs> so let's not beat around the bush. Um, but he seemed up for the, the the conflict within the match. I mean, you know, he obviously tackled Casemiro to win the ball back and create a sort of attacking situation for us. I was happy to to get into the melee a few times. Yeah, should he have had a penalty last night? Have I, have I misremembered that? Uh, I'm sure mm, he was push, pushed over in the penalty area, maybe. I mean, I didn't... That I mean... No, you I, think, I, think, I think it was a game where we had a lot of sort of penalty shouts, but even the Enketia one, 
I don't know if I think it's a penalty. It's one of those ones that if it's given against you, you're pissed. And I think that's how I feel about quite a lot of decisions this game. I, I don't think that Paul Tierney really screwed us. I think, you know, as I said before, a lot of the marginal things about not booking players when when perhaps they should or not giving free kicks when they should. I mean, obviously, Lee Mason on VAR screwed us, but he's got a history of doing, doing that by any which way he can. Yeah. And um, and as you say, you know, it's very much him driving to have the goal disallowed. But I actually thought Tierney was okay. Um, and I think it's just a case of when you're away at Old Trafford, if the decision is marginal, you don't get it. Because because that's, what for whatever reason, is the relationship that most British referees have formed with that ground. Oh. We don't know why. Yeah, Probably I, I know conscious. why. 75,011 Mancunians on top of you, as I said in my uh, my yeah. article for Daily Cannon at the weekend. I mean, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, there's lots of things we could say. There's also, you know, the, the geographical distribution of referees that's obviously going to play and have some sort of impact as well. There's the fact there's no diversity, yada yada yada. yada. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we, um, we the people as I speak, as we as I speak, are trying to collate statistics about uh, about decisions. To people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds as well, uh, but anyway, that's not for me to speculate about because I genuinely don't know what the outcome of that will be. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I thought this was a game where there was a lot of mm, maybes, maybes like the Enketi one. I mean, I think you probably uh, feel more strongly about this than I do. I just think only in the context of what had happened before. I. If Christian Eriksen gets a free kick for that challenge, then surely it is a foul on him. But I, I, maybe it's one of those in the centre circle he gets it in the penalty wow. area. Maybe not. We all know, like, yeah, we know the bars higher in the area unless you're Spurs. Um, <laughs> but but that one, I thought. I mean, Maguire did impede Kincaid's pro. Progress and Enketia normally had control of the ball, but I think Maguire didn't necessarily move that much to impede his progress. I think it was just it's something that just sort of happened, and I don't yeah. really, I don't know how much of the contact was initiated by Maguire, uh, and therefore, yeah. I, and, and if, therefore, it's one of those ones that I could see refs giving it, but I don't know if it should be a penalty or not. So therefore, if I'm not clear in my own mind, I can't really bitch about it. No. Uh, and as I said, given how easy you. I find it to bitch about so many other things. Yeah, true. And we were 3-1 down at the time with about five minutes left. So, Although, of course, if it had been a penalty, it probably would have been a second yellow card for Maguire, and that would have made, would have made the rest of the game interesting. But um, yeah, uh, ultimately, it is what it is. I, I, I agree with you. I thought Vieira's cameo was impressive, and it's good because he's going to be needed. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly in about three different positions, um, starting with the Europa League group stage with us away in Zurich this Thursday. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to admit, I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about FC Zurich. <laughs> um, I know that their squad is not not as strong as it has been. Um, I think they may have actually... Was it them that sold... Uh, a player to Leeds uh, this, just this week. I have come on transfers and me Leeds United. I've got no idea. Okay, okay, uh, but either way, I'm looking at their current squad, and there are out of their 25 man squad, there are five people I've heard of. And four of them I've only heard of because I play football manager sometimes. <laughs> so that in itself suggests that we should feel confident going into the game. But equally, it's the first game of the group, it's away, so we're not going to play all the kids. So it's going to be sort of quite interesting to see what what the manager chooses to do in terms of rotation. Um, I mean, as I say, it looks pretty much nailed on. Fabio Vieira is going to come in for someone, but will it be for Saka or for Odegaard? I'm not sure. Uh, Smith Rowe picking up a knock is a pain in the arse on that front. Yeah, timing's awful. Um, I hope he gives Saka a bit of a rest, actually. Yeah, well, it's it's a case of who's in the best fitness at the moment, Saka or Odegaard, uh, yeah. because with Smith Rowe also being injured, that limits your options. 
presumably Enkete will come in up front or on the left. It just depends, uh, I guess, on the comparative fitness of uh, uh, Jesus or or um, Martinelli. Do you think we, we'll probably see Marquinhos at some point? Or oh, that's a very good point. He might start on the well. I, he he might come off the bench. I think. I think. Yeah. I think with the first game in the group and away from him, I think Arteta will want to go fairly strong. Sambi will play again because he just needs the games. Uh, Jacques will play because we've got no one to rotate in. Um, uh, but we'll have um, we'll have Matt Smith on the bench as previously mentioned. So if we can get ourselves in a comfortable situation, that'd be very nice to be able to give him a, a, a look. Tommy Asso and Tierney will obviously come in. Uh, holding one presumes would get a game. Might see Turner depending on how he's been training, and then it's just a case of what is it Saliba or Gabriel that stays in at centre or half, or do they move White across the centre half to partner holding? Um, I mean, hey, it's a game we have to feel confident about just because very few of those Europe players will have played at the level that Arsenal play even when Arsenal aren't playing great. So as long as we can keep enough of the team to, to keep the flavour of what we're doing and there's some continuity of approach, you know, in the second 11. It's, yeah, it's, I, I've kind of got a weird thing that, well, I don't know if it's that weird... I wonder if it might be an idea just to give Gabriel Jesus 45 minutes because maybe he can win the game for us in 45 minutes and then go and have a sit down. But um, just bearing in mind, um, you know, I think everyone's very aware of Bukayo Saka's workload. He has played a lot of football for someone who has turned 21 today. Happy yep. birthday, Bukayo, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so, I mean... I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying I would do it. I just wonder if it might not be the worst idea in the world because he seems to be quite robust. Well, certainly, if if they want to give Martinelli a rest, that makes perfect sense. You you start Jesus uh, up front. You play and Kesha on the left, and you just let the two of them rotate into play with each other. Yeah, you can always bring Martinelli off the bench, or or you know, depending what's what's going on, what we decide to do in with Odegaard and and Saka and Vieira, how that maybe Marquinhos. Um, I mean, it'd be lovely to get in a position where you can bring on some real kids, but, uh, <laughs> but well, no, I mean, I say that partly because uh, at the moment, um, the under 21s, as it's been now been made under 21s again, rather than under 23s, uh, they're top of the uh, Premier League two table. Hooray. Yeah. Um, I mean, joint top with, uh, with Crystal Palace, I think actually. Um with with four unbeaten after their first five games, had a lovely four one win at the weekend. Although, admittedly, that was against bottom with five losses, Blackburn under twenty ones. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a, a good start considering there are so many very young players in that squad. Actually, mm. um, uh, including uh, the reason really why I want to mention it is uh, one. Ethan Nwari, uh, I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce it, but a 15-year-old uh, made his under-21s debut uh, uh, and got an assist uh, in the game. Uh, Was he the guy I saw you talking, uh, mentioning to Clive Palmer? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, rather, Clive mentioned him and I was saying, oh, I'm surprised you didn't know about him before because uh, Clive seems to know about everything. <laughs> um but maybe when it comes to the, the absurdities of our youth system, I, or not the absurdities, the intricacies of our youth system, I'm <laughs> Maybe I know I, I know more about who's on the radar. Um, yeah. But he's yeah he's an exciting kid. Um, just smooth, clever, great eye for a pass. Uh, can play wide or number ten, like as so many players in the field these days. But it's also great for the under twenty ones because there's a, a guy called um, Nathaniel Butler, um, who who sometimes uh, has his hyphenated surname Butler Day, but he's um, he's was great as a sort of under sixteen year old was quite promising under 18s and then it just hasn't happened for him the last couple of years mixture of injuries and just haven't been able to find his form and this season he struggled to get a goal the first two or three games and then he just found got a goal and now just looks very exciting it's gone berserker uh, mode has he well he's he, he he's tiptoeing in that direction uh, and it's just you know i mean he's still got a long way to go to to justify any sort of chance of getting any of the arsenal first team given the players ahead of him um and given what he's not really done at that level up to this point in time, but 
just just you know even if he never sets foot in the pitch for Arsenal just great to see a young player who struggled turning it around a bit um it's just something that makes makes me happy um but yeah it's a very very young under 21 team um as as so many people have been sent out on loan so it means we've got a bit less depth of the Europa League but it does mean that uh the pathway behind is going well, as evidenced by Flo Balogun getting another goal on loan, making it five in six games, five goals and an assist in six games in France in Liga. Behind only, I think, Neymar and Mbappe or in the French goal scorers <laughs> league. You'd have taken that at this stage. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'm um I guess we're all quite excited to see what might happen with him when he's back at Arsenal. Yeah, well, I mean, particularly as his his personal target for the season was Ten goals, five assists, and to learn French as he was. Oh, was it? And he's already got five <laughs> goals and an assist in six games. So if he stays fit, he might have to revise his targets, which is uh, pretty cool for him. Amazing. Um, and you know, there are others are doing well on loan. You know, Norton Cuffey's doing doing well at Rotherham, uh, playing a, playing in the Championship rather than League One. So that's pretty cool. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's. Obviously, we'll cover such things in more detail as you, of course, probably over the international break. But just nice to see that there are things bubbling under. And yeah. then lastly, uh, we've got Everton at the weekend. Before you mention it, can I just yeah. ask, have you seen the um, Crystal, about Crystal Palace and their kids? Have you watched any of the Football Dreams programme on Channel 4? I do not know this programme. It's very good. Uh, oh. It's been on, I see the 9 or 10 o'clock on Thursday nights. Okay. Um there have been four episodes, but it's just um, a year. Each program is the same year, but with different age groups and different kids. And it's just their journey through a year of academy football. Um, last program was kind of mad because they were focusing on this eight-year-old kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> who's, who's got a football coach for a dad. And um, I think my uncle was quite brutal. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> But yeah, it's kind of like The Wire, season four of The Wire, but with footballs. I'll leave that references to people who get it. <laughs> You've never seen The Wire? Oh my God. Well, I've never seen season four of The Wire. So, well, you should. It's brilliant. I have a um, baby. I have no time. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't have a baby when it started, but I didn't know. No. That, you know, I, I was, I've always been late catching up with these things, partly because when you work in the theatre, your evenings tend not to be on anyway at the best of times. Yeah. Um, um, well, yeah. yeah, anyway. Keep an eye out for that programme, boys and girls. It's really worth watching. Don't wait 20 years because you might not be able to find it. Yeah, true, true. Um, so, Everton. Everton. Everton, who suddenly are starting to look like they're maybe vaguely competent, which is a bit annoying given how shit they were at the start of the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a thing developing there, isn't there? Um, I hope that... Um, European exertions on Thursday night don't overly derail us and if they don't we'll beat them <laughs> Just, I, I, I have to say that because I've got two best two of my best friends are Everton fans and it, on the off chance that they should listen I don't want, the, want them to hear me sounding scared about Everton Football Club coming to <laughs> Arsenal um, but I, yeah I, hopefully Arteta can uh, find a way to rotate on Thursday mm. in such a way that we're not uh, suffering too much on Sunday, which I think is a lot of... Um, I think there's probably some concerns about how Arsenal are going to deal with that, this this side of the... Uh, Transfer window, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we seem to be losing players every time we play a game at the moment, which isn't ideal. No, well, I mean, that obviously, I mean, it doesn't account for the Smith-Rowe injury, but the intensity with which we're playing is like to put more strain on certain people. And it's going to be, you know, as we saw with, say, Klopp when, <coughs> pardon me, Klopp when he first had his um, major impact at Liverpool, you know, by the time he'd gotten to being a really good team, they then couldn't sustain that for a full season because they'd start sort of slightly running out of legs. Or certainly that's what we, you know, also what we, what happened at Dortmund in the end, in the end he sort of ran the players into the ground a little bit. Um, and so then once it established a certain level then they adjusted their style of play and the hope is that once we 
establish ourselves that we can take the foot off the gas a little bit but a lot of that of course comes down to being clinical and taking our chances which is something we've struggled with a bit this season and if we can just find that element we're going to be able to have a a lot better time of things in terms of rotation and also in terms of players not having to put the, the pedal to the metal as well, so to speak um so what's your prediction then oh um well two ones we're clearly going to concede because we concede at home all the time. Um, yeah, 2-1. Okay, well, I'm going to go for 3-0 just because we do well at home against Everton. Mm. We tend to do quite well against Lampard. And, um, yeah, I, I just think uh, they'll be wanting to right the wrongs of the weekend just past. And uh, I, I don't... I, Everton haven't really impressed me against in terms of being able defensively and I think uh, we start really quick uh, and as long as we can I mean if we take our chances it will just comes down to the same old thing but if we can finish well in the first first you know 20 minutes I think I think we could have a relatively comfortable time with things if we don't of course it'll be squeaky bum time and we're crapping ourselves enough for the remaining yeah, it's a, it's a 2-1 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we've kind of chatted about a whole range of stuff. Uh, we got in the obligatory officiating rant. Uh, my trademark is still intact. And uh, yeah, well, I suppose there's not much else to say unless you've got anything else you wanted to drop in as a last minute bombshell. No, no, all good. Bombshells all completed already. So yeah, yeah nothing to say except for thank you if you got this far, listeners. I hope you will have a wonderful week. I hope Arsenal win twice, obviously, and that contributes to a wonderful week. But uh, even if we don't, I hope you still have a lovely week because if you're listening to us, you must be both, uh, well, good people with sound judgment or just very charitable souls. And either way, you deserve good things in life. Uh, have a spend a week, everyone. Thank you again, Paul. Thank you for having me. And yeah, let's uh, talk again when we've won two more games. All right, cheerio. Bye.